You're listening to The 80-20 Show, an inside look into the music industry. Welcome back, everybody, to The 80-20 Show. I'm your host, Mike Zimmerlich, and my next guest is Tim Kirch from 8123. Now, we go way back with Tim, starting when he was managing his brother's bands when he was 14 years old. Now, in context, his brother is Pat, the drummer for The Main. So he talked about his experiences leading up to the main, as well as forming the management company 8123. We also got into what it was like working with major labels, how to get representation, and how to treat your fans and your community. This was a fantastic interview, and I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. It is my pleasure to give you Tim Kirch. Hey Tim, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, man. How about you? I'm doing pretty good, thanks. Yeah, it's um, <laughs> you know, it's funny. I'm having like technical difficulties today, and it's really funny. It's like of all days, of course, this is the day I get technical difficulties. But um, I really do appreciate it's being all on good. the podcast. I'm used to that, so don't worry. Yeah. Run into those news all the time, so don't don't even stress it. Cool, I do appreciate that. So I want to start. We're gonna go way back to the beginning because um, if people don't know, um obviously you you know mostly manage the main but also part of eight one two three um yep. and and um but and in the main uh, the drummer of the band pat is obviously your brother so were you involved with uh pat's previous bands or did you really get involved when they started the main yeah so um yeah i was involved kind of pretty much every project that pat was uh doing actually um so I guess for that story specifically, um, there was a band called the Kerosene Kids that like I was probably uh, 14 years old, I started managing. It was like the first band I was kind of like fully managing, um, which actually featured uh, Garrett, who is the bass player of the main. And uh, they had a previous drummer. Um, and when that drummer left the band, Pat was you know just playing drums on his own, not like in a band at the moment, and actually kind of asked him to try out for it. So. I was actually kind of managing the earlier form of the main kind of like right prior to him actually, you know, joining that, which would then slowly transform into the main. That's incredible. So, yeah. so 14 years old, you started managing a band. Yeah. So I was like, I guess like in seventh grade, all my friends were playing music. I tried out to play bass in the band and, uh, I did not know how to play bass and, uh, you know, um, our other buddy picked up the bass, started learning, and he kind of got the job as the, the bass player. And uh, from there, I was kind of like hanging around them um, all the time, being at all their band practices and kind of wanted to like find a role to be, you know, hang out with everybody, not just sit there. So I started kind of doing a lot of the business stuff. Um, you know, my, my older brother was kind of like an entrepreneur. So I was kind of like always like really fascinated with that part of the business. Um, and uh, yeah, just that was kind of like how it all, how it all started on that side. That's incredible. So when you decided, uh, so when they de- um, the band decided to, to reform and then create the main, surely yep. thereafter, that's when 8123 was also formed. So was that always the plan when they were creating a new band to create a management company to have underneath it? Yeah. So like, you know, my, my kind of backstory was like, you know, um, when I was like younger, I was booking local shows, uh, you know, I worked at a place called Neckbeard Soda Bar which is like all ages club in Phoenix and uh, just started like running out the room and putting on shows, running out like the clubhouse in, in Tempe, I'm sure you're familiar with. And, 
and kind of doing that whole side of things. So I was kind of like doing, you know, stuff like, you know, concert stuff, uh, concert promotion to screen printing bands, merchandise, the graphic design and photo shoots. Like I was just trying to do like anything that an artist needed at the time. Um, so it was kind of like already, you know, doing that part of it. Um, and then I went on the road for like uh, about a year and a half or two years, like right out of high school where I was uh, tour managing a band called This Providence, who's on a Fueled by Ramen Records. Um, and they didn't have a manager at the time. So I was kind of doing a lot of like the day-to-day -day work for them, working with their label and their agent and whatnot. And uh, during that time I was, you know, managing, um, you know, Pat and Garrett's band back home. Um, and so it was, you know, management was kind of like a, a side thing when I was like really focusing on the touring element at the time. And uh, about, you know, a year, year and a half into touring, the, the main kind of started to form and, decided to like jump off the road and go full time on just management. That's incredible. So you really were quite active way, you know, way before a one, two, three, you know, managing bands, you know, from the field by ramen. So, oh, how yeah, did yeah. You, so how did you make that connection at that point in time from, you know, being 14 years old and yeah, you know, yeah. managing your brother's band into, you know, doing all these kind of touring, how did you, how did you progress? Um, I mean, it really started with like the concert promotion side, you know, I did like, show in my parents backyard in seventh grade and then uh kind of started doing like more of those type of like you know backyard house show things and then i got really big into like mp3.com for a while of like trying to discover new bands you know like um where i'd go and like find artists i thought were like the biggest band in the world and realize they're they're booking a diy tour so i'd reach out to them and um started like landing some like up and coming national acts um one of those bands was this Providence, you know, booked shows for like Cartel before, you know, they they were even signed, uh, My American Heart, um, A Second Chance, which then became like Just Surrender. So I was like kind of starting to like put all these connections to bands that eventually would either get signed or, you know, gain a lot of success. So that was kind of like the, the way that I kind of got in was just like reaching out and trying to help out any band that needed, uh, needed a show. Wow, that's amazing. So... I do to jump ahead a little bit then with eight one two three. Were you only interested in having the main under the management company at that point in time, or did you already have in mind bring on other artists and that this would essentially be an umbrella? Yeah, so I mean, like I think like the idea of like eighty one twenty three was more of a um, like where it is now and like what we're trying to do with it now versus what it was back then was just really a title for the management company. Um, you know, so we were managing. Back then, like, you know, two to three different artists um, that were kind of growing um, outside of the main, you know, like the first like larger artist that we signed was a band called Rocket to the Moon, um, where I just, you know, found him on MySpace, loved his music, flew him out to Arizona, and he just kind of became a close friend and basically helped kind of build a band around him. Um, you know, uh, their first like few members was uh the bass player eric halverson who was actually you know in the very first band that actually took my position uh for bass uh that, that oh, really? was him so wow. yeah so it's kind of this funny thing of uh all of our like close close friends kind of like started to be like uh you know trying out for bands and uh you know me kind of like helping place them into certain bands so it was like a very much like friend and family vibe with all of our first few artists in that way um but yeah, no, as far as 8123 goes, I think like the idea in the beginning was just, you know, a management company, you need a name for your management company. And that's kind of like what it was. So 
Um, and then before we started to like grow the main and grow the other artists to where we wanted to kind of like really make it more so about the community than it is about like a management company. You know, we have certain artists even till this day that like uh, don't necessarily fall under the 8123 umbrella from like the social media standpoint, you know, because um, I think that's like a whole thing, like our festival and uh, the management side and social media side of that, like, you know, certain genres make sense for that or, you know, the type of artist that wants to kind of like have their own, you know, uh, uh, own fan base that's separate from the one we've been able to help build up and the community that we built. So I kind of like still separate stuff. And there's like this part of uh, the management company being 8123 and then 8123 is what like the fans kind of refer to themselves as it's more of like the, the community uh, around that so it's kind of a lot of layers to it absolutely and so i'm always curious about where origins of names come from so speaking of which where did the name 8123 come from so it was a the address to a parking garage in tempe where me and our buddies would go like whatever on weekends or school nights go like sneak up there and drink some beers on a rooftop and hang out skateboard you know kind of thing so it just kind of became like hey meet at 8123 it was kind of like our go-to then we go out after that you know so it was like a very much like the nostalgic part of like our, our friendship our friendship and our group which was like a lot of like our initial bands and whatnot was kind of built off that so I think it was kind of like you know uh, a little nod to like the community vibe that we wanted to create you know Absolutely. That's fantastic. So it's great because some people say that they, you know, they just came up with the name randomly or, or it was, you know, the, the web address was available. So they took the domain, totally. you know, things like that. Uh, that's, I always love it when, when there's a meaning behind the story. Uh, in fact, I, you know, with 8020 records, we give 80% royalties to our artists. That's the whole, that was always a philosophy of the company since day one. And I was that kind of built off the Pareto principle as well. Yeah, it is. I was really obsessed with the Pareto principle back in the day. So yeah, uh, I just became obsessed with the, the cult concept of it. And at this is back in right around when the main was formed right around 2007, we had an independent radio station uh, platform at that point in time. And that was doing fairly well. But at that point it took us a couple of years because we were, you know, my part business partner at the time and myself were doing this on the side while we were, you know, in college. And um, by the time we launched a beta version of it, at that point, you had Pandora and Last.fm that were just, you know, clearly way, way far superior than what we were doing. So we decided to pivot. And at the time, that's when my business partner said, what if we started a record label? And this was also the time when the RIAA was suing everybody left and right for pirating yeah, music. And sure. a lot of articles were coming out, too, about how labels were mistreating artists. And that really kind of put a fire in in what I wanted to do. And so I said, sure, but if we're going to do this, I want to do something different. And totally. going off of the Pareto principle is where the whole 80-20 concept came from and giving cool. as That's much awesome. back to artists as possible. That's very cool. So, um. So, yeah. So, you know, at the time of the main forming, were you also an instrument in getting them signed onto Fearless or was that something that was already in the works? Yeah. I mean, I think we uh, so we released like two songs um, and a bunch of labels found those two tracks. We were releasing just on MySpace. And then we had this EP that those two songs kind of like grew into called the Stay Up, Get Down. And we had just randomly a bunch of labels kind of started reaching out. And uh, there was like, um, his name was Siobhan and he was a intern at Fearless at the time. 
and started like really getting big into this. There's a website uh, back like 2000, maybe five, it started um, called the Daily Chorus, uh, which was a good friend of mine. His name is Tim Towner, which was kind of like kind of like Kings of A&R kind of style where it was like more of like up and coming artists. And he'd do like a year end list of like the best bands in each state, the best bands in the US. And I think he picked the main as like their the top like up and coming band at the time. So it was like from there, it was like a lot of attention was kind of coming the band's way. Um, and yeah, we just met with the, the Fearless team and, and felt like the most kind of comfortable with like how they perceived the band and the vision of what we wanted to do. And, you know, that was kind of like the, the start of that. Yeah. So even though they, they were coming to you, did you and the rest of the band have intentions of being signed onto a major label? Was that part of the game plan or is it more like, yeah, let's definitely. see where it was going to go? Okay. Yeah. I don't think we know. Like we always had like the independent spirit of like, let's just, um, you know, I think like the, what we learned from like the previous bands that then formed into the main, like when we were in high school, of like, uh, if we want to go on tour, we can book a tour, you know, like I knew how to do that. And then it was like, well, how do you gain a fan base in, in that in a specific market? You can't just book a tour if no one knows who you are, you know? So we kind of came up with like the idea of like, well, how we feel about our hometown fans. And, you know, the band got to a point where they were, or the previous bands um, got to a point where they were doing like six, 700 tickets locally, you know, and we like organically built up like relationships with, with people in the, in the city. Like they knew all their fans names and they were hanging out with them at shows. And, and it really felt like this, it was like a really authentic thing to them. They just wanted to meet every single person, you know, at the time. And, uh, we basically kind of took that hometown kind of strategy um, back with Pat and Garrett's, you know, first band of, uh, you know, we're going to go on tour down the West Coast. So in Anaheim and in L.A. and in Sacramento, like just jump on MySpace and gain, uh, like create some relationships with the biggest local bands in those markets and see who the fans are there and start messaging them and sharing the music. And we kind of like just picked like we routed a tour and then just started like reaching out to every single like kid in that market that we felt like would maybe be interested in the band's music. Um, so I think like that DIY element of it was like kind of in the foundation of us, you know, or we never really like felt like we had to be on a label, but like, as it started to get more serious at the time we were like, yeah, this is like the route for us. You know, we can get some, some extra help and exposure and uh, you know, fearless ended up being like the right choice for us at the time. Very smart. So you've also, as as the um, the main, has both released music both on major labels as well as independently, correct? Yep, correct, yep. What have you witnessed is the biggest differences between working with a label in general, let alone a major one, in comparison to releasing it independently? Um, I mean, I really think it comes down to the artist. You know, I think there's bands that should just be on a record label. I think there's bands that... Um, maybe can start on a record label and then eventually go independent. I don't, I don't think there's like one like true um, approach for every single artist. I think it really comes down to like how much work an artist is going to put in, you know, um, you know, and I have absolutely nothing against any record label. I think labels are great. You know, I think we're fortunate enough to be in this uh, position we're in, you know, from being on Fearless to Warner Brothers, you know, like without them, I don't think we'd be able to like, get to the place where self-releasing records makes a lot of sense, you know? So I think it was like the initial, those initial few years of the band being, you know, signed versus where we're at now being independent, you know, um, wouldn't have, uh, would not have been able to happen without 
the support from those, you know, two labels. Um, but, you know, the big difference is just like a lot more work on us, you know, like our, our team and the, even from the band directly, there's so much more we're doing on our own. And sometimes it's like really, you know, it's amazing because you can move a lot quicker. You know, you don't need a ton of people to get stuff approved by. We can just like come up with a cool concept that we feel like our fans are going to be really into and just like launch something, you know, on our socials or come up with a new idea that no one has done before without having a bunch of other people to kind of like, you know, question you, you know, you can kind of just go with your gut on a lot of stuff and kind of like learn from your mistakes. And sometimes, you know, those ideas land and sometimes they flop, but it's like really on us, you know? Um, but, you know, having, having a label is great because it's like, yeah, you have like a larger team and you have financing and you have, you know, just different minds to kind of spitball on. And I think creatively, you know, it's good to have extra voices, you know, in the room sometimes. So, um, you know, like I said, I really think it's like artist to artist, you know, um, where, where it makes sense for them and where they're at in their career to kind of make that leap between going from a label to be independent or deciding to always be independent, you know. That's yeah, that's that's fantastic. So here's a question for you. Now, I'm an artist. I'm like I want to get signed. That is that is my my goal. So let's say that I want I want to have a team to give me more ideas, to give me this type of support. And I'm going to throw this into the same bucket, both label and management. They just want representation. Totally. What would be your advice to that person if they were looking for representation? you got to create enough, enough of a hype on your own and gain enough traction to the point where it's not just like only about good music, but like doing all the work that a label probably would do to help you get going, but to like do as much of that on your own to really like have a clear vision for your art and how you want to be perceived by the world as a whole, you know, really crafting your music and crafting like your communication between you know, how you uh, market that music to other people. I think it's like, there's a lot of really, really talented artists, you know, and then there's artists that like are so talented, but they're not good about like, you know, actually, uh, you know, they just want to make the music only, you know, and they're not going to do the like other side of it, you know, and I think those artists are like, it's perfect to be on a record label. And then there's other artists that can kind of like do a little bit of both. And if they create enough traction on their own, more labels are going to want to pay attention to them. You know, it's like, there's a lot of good music out there and it's like, whoever's willing to put in the work to kind of go a little bit above and beyond to catch other people's attention, I think is like the, the best approach to, to get signed in my, my opinion. I totally agree. In fact, when I've been a guest on podcasts and radio shows, they ask me that question too, where, you know, what if artists are out there, that are looking to get signed on labels. What would you suggest to them? And I usually give them just one word and that is don't. And the reason why is not because that labels are irrelevant or you shouldn't have managers. In yep. fact, it's quite the opposite is that if you have to prove, you have to bring something to the table, and this is not necessarily for the benefit of the manager or the label, it's actually a benefit to the artist because the management company as well as the label have to have something there to amplify. If you don't yep. have something there, they can't just magically say, okay, well, now you're going to be super famous and go on tours or you're going to make sure. a ton of money. There has to be something there. There needs to be that demand that we know that, okay, there's there's something here that's working. We're just going to help you now refine it, come up with new ideas, and then help, and help you open up more opportunities to continue to grow what you have that's already working. 
But if you don't have something there that's already working, and in case like you mentioned the hype or you know th- whatever the demand is, then management's not going to do anything for you. Neither is a label. Totally. None of them is for going sure. to help you in any way. You're just basically wasting everybody's time at that point. So definitely, yeah, you definitely want to be in a position where people are coming to you. That's no question yep. about it. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, I think it helps with a better record deal. You know, you can get more creative with like whether it's like an actual full blown, you know, 360 deal down to like a distribution deal with like additional label, you know, services. So I think like just, you know, being more self-reliant, I think, is like a benefit across the board, even if your intention is to be on a label. You know, I think it just allows you to like artistically have a clear vision for what you want. You know, not everything is marketing. It's about like, you know, people are gravitated towards just like interesting, obviously great music, but interesting people that have like other elements beyond the music that they really have like a clear vision for their career, you know? Absolutely. So uh, just for our audience sake that don't know, 360 deal with labels basically means that they take a, essentially a percentage cut of everything that you make as an artist. Correct. And yep. that that can also mean a lots of different things. I've seen contracts where they actually will take, if you have like an acting gig, they'll take a percentage cut of that. Everything from that to being more to specifically for music and merchandise. So even within the 360, that can depend on a lot of things. But the idea, the whole concept behind it is that sure. the label is marketing you, it's, it's supporting you, and it's building not only just the band, but also the members yep. within the band. So they justify getting a percentage cut of that. Um, real quick, what are, what are your thoughts on a 360 deal? Like, are you for them? Against I, mean, I, I, them? Think, I think for the right artist, you know, it can make sense. You know, I think like a label completely developing an artist from scratch and, you know, helping creatively make all those things happen. You know, I think it can work for somebody, you know, um, you know, not something I personally am interested in, you know, that would have an artist sign, you know, we've like, you know, n- never had any of those. We, I've never actually done a 360 deal um it's always been like maybe somewhat of a hybrid between it you know participating in certain things at certain thresholds or whatnot but um you know it's it's yeah i I think labels are paying attention more to what other type of deals that they can are willing to creatively make you know from a just like a straight up distro deal to like a 50 50 master ownership deal to the artist owns the master for after, you know, five years, like it, people are getting way more creative and it's getting a lot more fair depending on where an artist is at, you know, there, you know, there's a ton of great independent artists that are at 5 million monthly, you know, listeners on Spotify and they go do a deal like that is huge negotiation power where labels are going to give them a super fair deal. Um, so I think it's like that, that part of the industry, I think in the last like five years has completely shifted, you know, and has made, a lot more artist friendly deals and you know obviously 360 deals still exist and it may make sense for somebody that is just getting started and the label is actually going to put a lot of that attention into those other revenue streams for the artist i 100 percent agree in fact that was one of the decisions that i made way earlier on with 8020 is that we weren't a really big believer in 360 deals and even at that time the reason why is I want to make sure that as a company, we were held liable and, and accountable for the work that we were doing. And yep. so if we weren't directly involved with that part of the process, we didn't feel it was justified to take a percentage of it, even though like overall you can make, you'd be making indirect impacts for me to make sure that we're keeping ourselves in check. I want to make sure that we were directly involved with whatever it was that we're making a percentage off of. So even with merchandise, we would have separate agreements for merchandise so that depending upon the situation of the artist and that we can be modular 
is that if you would just want to sign the music, that's totally fine. Then all we're going to focus in on this music. You can do what you need to do for merchandise. We'll just work on the music end. But then totally. if they want, they need help with merchandise, we would have a separate agreement for merchandise. And then we would help them out on both the music and merchandise sides. So this way, because every artist is different, every uh, artist's needs are different. So we decided a long time ago to make things as modular as possible so that we can cater to the artist's needs. That's awesome. So going on the flip side now, being as a manager, what is one of the biggest lessons? I mean, since you've been, you know, you're 14 years old managing yeah, bands, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you have learned and made a lot of mistakes along the, uh, for these years. Is there, um, what is the biggest lesson that you've learned since then being a manager? I mean, from a management side, I guess it's like, you kind of have to definitely now more than ever. And I guess I've always kind of thought this way is like, you need to kind of be not just like what people normally would think of as a manager, but you need to kind of like, you know, be the merchandise company, be the record label, be like uh, the creative director, help out where you can. And like every single part, you know, even when we were on a label, it's like, I don't just rely on the marketing person to come up with an idea or even the merchandise company to come up with something. It was about like being involved and really paying attention to like, what fans like really liked and, you know, being authentic to the artist where it's like, not just like connecting the dots, but more so being like an actual like partner in all those things, um, creatively bringing more to the table. You know, I think there's with social media and whatnot, obviously, you know, has existed my entire career in this, but you know, even like how much more content is quickly turning around and how much more we have to, uh, artists are interacting with fans like how do you creatively come up with things that are you know super authentic but also can potentially reach new fans and bring more people into a community you know um and i think it's like the job for a manager isn't necessarily only just you know working out the the record contracts and budgeting stuff and and uh you know the basics of what people assume on managing the business but like how do you actually get more involved uh as a manager you know um but, you know, I think big mistakes I've learned kind of over the years is, you know, um, things like constantly adapting quicker, you know, to the to the times um, uh, or even an idea that you think is like a great concept, like being able to bail and pivot on stuff if something's not working. You know, we, we've been in situations where it's like, you know, you hope you're going to get a giant support tour and it doesn't come in. Um, and you just did a headliner, so you can't do that again. Well, it's like, how, how can you creatively like come up with something new that feels fresh to the fan base so that, you know, the band can be on the road and, you know, earn, earn a, you know, living from that, but, um, not doing it in just like a kind of cookie cutter approach to everything, you know, like always being able to just, you know, whatever pandemic right now, it's like, how do you, how do artists and art managers handle when, uh, handle the situation where touring doesn't exist at the moment you know we can't tour safely and until that comes back and there's a time for that waiting around doesn't do anything you know you have to you have to come up with ideas to like not only you know support the the band and the people that work for you but you know the crew members and you know friends that were in the industry and like really come up with you know ideas that like doesn't take advantage of anybody doesn't make it feel like fans you know have to are constantly spending so much money but like creatively come up with like a mutual exchange that feels like uh you know the artists can survive and at the same time be in a spot where fans feel like they're they're happy to support in that way you know yeah and in, in fact one of the things that 
I very much respect what 8123 does is how diversified you've made the company and reaching out into not only what the main itself represents, but all these other projects such as um, Pillar, which is a fantastic platform, as well as the events that you've created as well, that you, you have created these, you know, themes of tours that the that you can utilize for the main again making things fresh and new for their fan base so these ideas is this something that you brainstorm as a team internally is the band involved with a lot of these conversations too like how how does that process work for for yourself yeah i mean a lot of it's internally with the band and myself pat obviously my brother he he has like the kind of business kind of marketing brain but also like i think all of us are very much uh always fan first you know like not not like some sales pitch on that it's like it's really authentic you know i don't think we want to do stuff that is and even like our ticket prices and stuff you know it's like we're always kind of being very conscious of the, of all that stuff you know it's like oh yeah we could make extra amount extra money doing meet, like uh, paid meet and greets and all these extra things but we're like very much like thinking of our our fans as a family and that's like a, a super authentic place not from like a whatever some branding thing that maybe somebody else would kind of present that as um and then our, our booking agent mike markey at, at uh, paradigm he's a huge part of that as well but you know all of us kind of We'll brainstorm ideas to like not make one tour feel the exact same as another you know if it's just another fall tour another spring tour another summer tour it doesn't really one it's not even fun for the band you know like how do we creatively shake things up where it feels like a new experience where you know if you are going to see the band you know on a third tour on an album cycle or second tour on an album cycle how does it feel different than the first one you know we want to make sure that like uh, we're super thoughtful of like the fan walking away that there's a huge difference between them all. And there's some that are, you know, really special from like, uh, you know, we did a, an acoustic evening with the main where it's more of a stripped down full band set and, you know, did some theaters and more of a seated thing um, where I think fans were normally used to standing up at a show and, and, and moving around. So it's like, it's a little bit of a break from the, the previous stuff or, you know, coming up with sad summer festival where it's more of a, you know, Warp Tour was no longer going to be there. And how do you bring that that energy in a different way than what Warp Tour was, but still like pulling from a lot of the things that we were inspired by and loved about what Warp Tour was, you know, um, as well as just like knowing what our fans are into, like their, their, their favorite bands that, that they've like either discovered because of us or we know they love, like re- really like being thoughtful of all those ideas rather than just like, selling more tickets by adding on a, uh, you know, an artist that we may not even sonically like, but they can bring an extra four or 500 people into a show. Like we don't really like make a lot of those decisions based off that. We really think about like the fan wanting to, you know, go to the show, love every single band and not just us, you know? And I think that makes like a better experience. And I think has, you know, led to, you know, fans trusting us and wanting to come back to tour after tour, you know, after, you know, 15 years. So one of the things that uh, I have witnessed specifically about the main there's, you know, the rain, the main, obviously being a band for uh, now over 13 years has obviously built a reputation. And I would say that time and time again, one of the biggest things that I hear about the main is the fact that the band does not charge for a meet and greet. That's one of the number one things. And they say they appreciate that so much 
that the band is willing to meet to not only not charge to meet and greet, but on top of that, that they will still take the time to to talk to every single one of their fans. Especially when there's a line, and I've I've seen this myself going to Warp Tour. I've seen the line just going all the way down, and people are willing to wait on that line, and the band is willing to stay as long as it takes to see every single fan. And there's no question that's how the band has been able to stick around for as long as it has been because totally as you mentioned you guys take care of of their fans you take care of the fans and they remember that and they appreciate that yeah no i mean the guys are are uh it's like a, it's like a really special thing of like them being able to like recognize that connection and see each fan as like an individual not just like our fans or speaking these broad terms i think it's like they know people in all these cities. And I think it started from the very beginning, you know, it was like, like I mentioned, uh, you know, we booked like first DIY tours, like reaching out to people and having, uh, trying to create an online connection and then come to a show and actually like chat with them, you know, and it started in that small, small way. And the fact that after, you know, close to 15 years, uh, you know, I guess next January will be 15. So whatever, 14 years at this point, um, it's, crazy that they've been able to like i guess they don't even like it doesn't even feel like oh i gotta go meet these people it's like they're excited to go you know see fans after a show and when it's freezing cold out and there's 500 to 700 people they'll go sit out there for three hours and you know in minneapolis at you know 11 o'clock at night to sign for as many people that want to be there you know until the venue forces us to to leave or bus call happens due to you know us having to get to the next city or whatever it may be you know we've been or they've been able to just like um they're so consistent with that and it's it's not from a place of like oh yeah this is uh something i we plan and we create a whole thing around it they just do it it's like once once their show's done they shower and then they jump outside and go start talking to people and i think it's like it's part of what a show means to us you know it's not just like a, a press event where you you know people have to pay money for it uh it's like a just habit that is really natural and authentic to them so speaking of which and taking care of fans one of the things also that 8123 81 excuse me, 8123 does is supports uh your community and can you talk a little bit more about uh 8123 impact and yeah, what definitely. you do there yeah no i think we were you know we were just seeing um we've done a lot of like uh different events to even like you know raise money for specific causes or or like disaster relief stuff and you know we we do do a lot of like the the, some fundraising stuff every now and then but we also wanted to kind of do something that felt more like getting people like with their hands to go do something and like feel like to have like empathy for you know either people that need help or even just like the environment or something um so like, I think there's something about the artists, or the, you know, the main will go out there, meet up with two, 300 people and then go plant trees somewhere or go work at a food packaging facility to help with the homeless. Like they'll, they'll do that thing where I think it's less about, um, I think those things build like a different type of like understanding and perspective of like where other people are at. And I think how fortunate we are to be where we are, I think to have that reminder that there's other people that, you know, may, may not be in a, uh, you know, in the same situation as us and to be able to give back. And at the same time, 
have a unique experience with your fans that uh, one, you're all doing something really good together. Everybody's kind of like hanging out and, you know, there to actually help out for whatever cause we're kind of supporting, you know? Um, yeah, I think we're just try always trying to find, you know, different ways to like, you know, if someone doesn't have money, how can they still help out, you know? Um, I, and I think there's a lot we can all do as humans to help others. And I think, um, you know, that's kind of like the core of like the 8123 impact stuff. And, uh, you know, Chelsea, who kind of does like day-to-day -day management for the main, you know, is kind of like a lot of her um, brainchild for all this stuff. It's like, she's uh, just was naturally doing all this stuff on her own. And, you know, us seeing like all the good she was doing in the world, you know, like we kind of, well, we want to do that. We want to help out. You know, it kind of became this whole thing that started as just like a couple little initiatives and then started to kind of grow to a bigger thing where, you know, the last tour we did, it was every single date of the tour was a charity event in each city where any fan could sign up and we'd go find something nearby where we could help out with the community. Um, but also asking fans like specifically in their city, what do you think is like a big cause that you would like to get all of us together for? to go help out that specific idea. So we really take a lot from, from the fans and, and what's happening in the world at the time to like try to try to do some level of good, you know, um, with the, with, with the community as a whole. Yeah. Honestly, more, more organizations in general should take, take your, your, you as a role model, because I'm a hundred percent big believer in that as well about supporting your community, both, on a local and as well as a global level. So I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, I think like all of us are obviously involved, but you know, Chelsea is the one that's like constantly, you know, working on that. Like even till this day, we're still, still doing stuff. And sometimes it's things we're doing behind the scenes that we just want to uh, do, or we don't, you know, maybe not going to like promote it out to fans, but like when we're in a situation where, you know, if I wasn't in this position, it's like just a, regular guy working a different type of job where you don't have like a community around your, your business. Um, it's hard to get 200 friends to go show up and do something. And the fact that we can reach out fans and they're super excited about that and do a lot, you know, just from sharing an idea, it's, it's really powerful. It's like without the community and the band in Chelsea, like none of that would be possible. And it's like a, it's a really gratifying thing to kind of look back and see all the awesome things we've been able to do over the, over the years. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Tim. I really do appreciate your time. Awesome, man. Yeah, thank you so much. It's, uh, it was great being on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the 8020 Show. To learn more about 8020 Records, you can check us out on pretty much any social media at 8020records or visit our website at www.8020records.com. Until next time, be happy, be healthy, and be productive.